Again, great to have you this morning. Thanks for taking some time out of your weekend to be here. I've seen some, some new faces, some new friends. I've seen some old friendly faces as well. Uh, so it's good to have everybody here, especially if it's your first time uh, or your first time in a long time. As I mentioned before, uh, in, a, in that bulletin, you've got a connection card. Just fill that out for us. Tear it off. Turn that into the I'm New table out in the foyer, and we'll give you a, a free gift as well as a bunch of information about this particular church. Man, we, we think God's doing some great things in this church, and uh, we would love for you. In fact, we need for you to be a part of all of that. And so if you are here uh, looking for a new church or a church home, we think you found it. And uh, we're grateful that you're with us today. I hope you've had a great summer so far. I don't want to say it, but it's kind of coming to an end. Uh, we were uh, out school shopping just yesterday afternoon. It's almost like Black Friday shopping. It's kind of chaotic and crazy. It's my folder. No, my markers. Uh, but it's coming to an end. But hopefully you have enjoyed your summer thus far. We've had a great summer here at West Bowles. Uh, God's been doing some cool things uh, through the sermon series, through the combined worship. For those of you that might be new to West Bowles, normally we have an 8.30 uh, traditional service with our choir, a uh, full choir that's just rocking and rolling. And then we have a 10.30 uh, contemporary. This summer, though, we decided to come together, spend some time together, kind of uh, merge the two styles as well as let the chapel uh, get remodeled. So we're currently in the process of doing that. But after Labor Day, we'll get back to those uh, two different uh, worship styles. Both of them will actually be here in the sanctuary, 8.30 and 10.30, uh, so be on the lookout for that. But we're having a great summer together, uh, at least I think so, and if you don't, don't tell me otherwise, okay? Just let me be ignorant and stupid, uh, but I think we've had a great summer. And I really enjoyed our uh, sermon series entitled Numbers. Here's the gist, what we've been talking about so far this summer. Our lives are filled with and inundated by numbers, are they not? From the number of square feet in your house to the number of dollars in your bank account to the number of likes you received on your most recent post, right? our lives are filled with numbers. Well, the Bible is filled with numbers as well. From the book of numbers to all the symbolic numbers found throughout the scripture to those little numbers known as chapters and verses. Those little numbers that you see on the top of each page or before each sentence in your Bible, um, those maybe seem somewhat insignificant to you at first glance, but the truth is they are inextricably connected to the truth. The truth is they help us remember, study, find, memorize, and actually connect ourselves to the truth. Think about these numbers with me, 3, 16, 29, 11, 4, 13, 23, 1, 2, 42, 28, 7, 8, 28. Those are more than just numbers, aren't they? Those are far more than just three or four little numbers put together. They, they actually help us. They're like the address, if you will, of, of hope. They're the address of peace. They are the address of promise and assurance and life. Someone forwarded me a picture they saw this last week. It was a t-shirt, and it said, uh, the emergency numbers you need to know, and it was all the important Bible verses. They kind of are emergency numbers, aren't they? 911 is important to know, but so is 23-1, or 1-1, or 3-16. They're great numbers, and I hope that they're numbers that mean a lot to you, and are hopefully some of the most significant numbers in your life. Uh, and this morning, I'm excited to share with you the numbers 213. And yet again, church, I have stumped you. People guessed all week long what, what book of the Bible this was coming out of. And last week, you weren't able to figure it out, so I got the Chick-fil-A card, and I spent it well. <laughs> and this week looks like I'm going to Starbucks by myself, because nobody guessed this week's either. People, come on, step this up. I mean, I don't mind going to these places. But if you guess what book I'm preaching out of, you'll get a, a gift card. 
So be on the lookout in the tea blast. But uh, let me pray for 2.13, and uh, then we'll talk a little bit about it. Father, we ask that you will speak to us now, that we will hear your voice, and that it will bring us life and give us direction and guidance. Uh, help your word to come alive and to be that which pierces our heart and changes us from the inside out. Make it so. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you uh, ever looked forward to something? I'm not just talking about like looking forward to the end of a long day or uh, you know, finishing a long week or even finishing like the Chipotle leftovers that are sitting in your fridge right now, although I get pretty excited about those. But have you ever looked forward to something so intensely, so fervently that you could hardly even think about anything else? Has there ever been a time in your life where anticipation and eagerness the excitement of something coming to fruition was almost too much to handle. I found this image when I Google searched the word anticipation. That just says it all, doesn't it? Like, oh, I've been waiting for this moment for so long. But outside of Christmas morning, have you ever felt like that? Maybe it was that highly anticipated first date. And you pursued this one girl for so long, you dropped hints, you talked to her friends, you tried to act a lot cooler or more mature than you actually were, and she finally agreed to go out with you. She finally said yes. And so as that Friday night got closer and closer, your excitement level, as well as your uh, perspiration levels, got greater and greater. Many of us have anticipated and eagerly awaited spending time with or going out with that special someone. Maybe it was when you were pregnant with your first child, or in the Melonstrand's case, your 15th child. As that little bun in the oven, as well as the oven itself, kept growing and growing and growing, you just couldn't wait to see that child face to face. You were so eager to hold him in your arms for the very first time. Many of us have anticipated and eagerly awaited the arrival of a child. Maybe it was the start of a new job or the first day at a new school. Right? You studied for so long, you prepared for so long, you worked so hard, and you finally got into the program. You finally got into that school. You got the internship. You got the job. And now you're just waiting. You're just waiting for that first day on campus, for that first day on the job. Many of us have anticipated and eagerly awaited the start of something new. Maybe it was a vacation or a trip that you planned. Right? For months and months, maybe even years and years, you looked at brochures, you planned your itinerary, you read travel blogs, all in great anticipation of this vacation of a lifetime. I mean, from where you would stay to what you would eat, how many cities you would visit, you looked forward to this one trip for as long as you can remember. Many of us have anticipated and eagerly awaited traveling to new lands. So there are lots of times, there are lots of moments, lots of opportunities where we anticipate, where we look forward to something so vehemently that everything else is just kind of background noise. Nothing else really matters as much as that one thing, that one thing that we're looking forward to. Call it tunnel vision, call it single-mindedness, call it getting lost in la-la land. I don't care what you call it, but we all know what it feels like to look forward to something with great fervor. Again, kind of like this. Oh, I've been waiting for this. See, there is great power in anticipating and looking forward to something. 
In fact, anticipating one thing with great zeal can actually change everything else. And that's why I think we read what we do in Titus 2, 11 through 13. Titus 2, 11 through 13. Not Hebrews, not Philippians. Good guesses, but Titus. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. 2.13, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. See, based on Titus 2.13, it seems as if the way that we look forward to and anticipate a first date or the first day on a new job or a great vacation, the excitement that we have for that, the eagerness that we have for that, that's how God wants us to feel as it pertains to the return of his son. We are to long for, we are to look forward to, maybe even act a little giddy about Jesus coming back Oh, I've been waiting for this day. See, the Numbers 2.13, they're not the only or the first scriptures to speak about this eagerness, this anticipation that we should be having. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. How about the Numbers 9.28? Hebrews 9.28, so the anointed one, our liberating king, he was offered once in death to bear the sins of many, but he will appear a second time, not to deal again with sin, but to rescue those who eagerly await his return. Now I know Arnold Schwarzenegger in the movie Terminator is the one who always gets credit for saying it, right? I'll be back. But that's actually true for Jesus Christ. He will come back. One day, just as he did 2,000 years ago when he randomly showed up in the town of Bethlehem, he will again show up on this earth. But the question is, do we eagerly await it? Do we look forward to it? Do we long for it? And I'm not sure I've ever really met a Christian, to be honest with you, that could emphatically say, yeah, to all those questions. Christ's second coming, his return to this earth, they are not things that many of us think about, let alone long for or look forward to. I mean, maybe it crosses our mind from time to time. As we watch the evening news and and all hell is breaking loose on the earth, we're just like, come, Jesus, come. Or maybe we sing it in a song every now and again, and Kayla led us in a great song before with the chorus line, right, of one day he will return. Maybe we hear somebody pray it every once in a while, but to be honest with you, the return of Jesus is not something that many of us think a lot about. It's not something that many of us look forward to. It's not something that many of us long for or eagerly anticipate. And that's, that's a problem on multiple levels. That that reality is not part of our reality, because it needs to be. As a college pastor, I was able to officiate a ton of different weddings. kind of comes with the turf, one of the perks, if you will. Uh, I ran into my fair share of bridezillas, Uh, over the years, but I loved it. I loved it. There is no better seat in the house than right up front. I mean, you get to watch the groom, 
You get to watch the bride as she comes down towards the groom. You get to watch the audience look at the bride and then at the groom to see if he's holding it together as he looks at the bride who's coming down to the, right? I mean, it's just, it's the best seat in the house. But the best part of a wedding ceremony, without a doubt, is the before and after. It's all the excitement and all the anticipation that is a part of that moment, that is a part of that process. From the dress to the last minute details to the rehearsal dinner, it's all about one thing. They all lead to, they're all designed to point you towards that one moment when the two become one, when the two are finally united, when the two are together forever. I just love the excitement, the passion, the enthusiasm, the eagerness that is a part of that moment. And when you stand right next to the groom in that moment, I mean, it's almost contagious. He is so nervous and so excited and so anxious for it all to finally happen that it kind of rubs off on you and you start to get nervous. Like, what is about to happen? It's like, wait, you're supposed to be nervous, not me. I'm not getting married right now. But his eagerness to be with her, to finally be connected to her, oh, it's overwhelming. It's incredible. And that excitement, the anticipation that a bride and a groom share, it's actually how Jesus wants us to feel about him. That's kind of the position that he wants us to be in right now. See, in his own words in Matthew 25, Jesus describes himself as our groom. And there's numerous stories and illustrations and parables where he tells us more or less, hey, I want you, bride, to get ready for me. I want you to prepare yourself. I want you to to do everything you can so for that one moment when we are finally together, that'll be the greatest moment of all time. So right now, more or less in our life, based on these analogies that Jesus is using, we're kind of at the rehearsal dinner right now. We're kind of putting the finishing touches on things. But there will come a moment, there will come a day when our groom will come. When the ceremony will reach its climax, its conclusion, its fullness. When everything that has been promised will come to fruition. The end goal, the point of it all, the reason we do any of this is so that one day we can do that with him. So that one day we will be united and together with him forever. And and everything in our being should long for that moment. Everything in us should look forward to that one moment where we get to do that with Jesus. The moment that we get to go from talking about Jesus to talking with Jesus or to Jesus. The moment we go from hoping for heaven to being in heaven. The moment we go from living by faith to seeing our maker face to face. So just as a bride and a groom are so eager and excited about that moment When they're finally together, God wants us to be so eager and excited about that moment when we will finally be together with him. But we don't, do we? I mean, if we're honest, we don't hardly ever think about that moment or that day or that time or that reality. And in light of what I've been reading the last couple of weeks, that's a scary thought. I mean, according to that Hebrews passage, it says God is coming back to save those who eagerly await his return. He has come to save those who are waiting for him, who are longing for him, who are anticipating with great enthusiasm and excitement his return. So the question I've been wrestling with is why not? Why don't we look forward to this? 
Why aren't we looking to heaven and hoping he will come? Why isn't this something that we, we're, not, we're not longing for? Why aren't the numbers 213 a bigger part of our life? Because the New Testament is full of examples where it says, I hope that you are looking forward to and anticipating with great eagerness the return of Jesus Christ. Now, I know there are a lot of reasons out there, but I'm going to suggest three things. There are three reasons why I don't think we really look forward to his return. We don't know much about it. We don't actually believe it, or we just don't want it. So let me quickly share with you a couple of these, these reasons. First is we don't know much about it. For many of us, the second coming of Christ, it's right up there with like advanced calculus, quantum physics, or the female brain. Things you'll just never understand. Things that will just never make sense, right? Like, what? The second coming of Christ, doesn't that have something to do with like the end times? Are you talking about tribulation and rapture now? Is there some thousand year period? There's an antichrist and a dragon and a lake of burning sulfur. Yeah, so who do you think is going to start the first game for the Broncos at quarterback? That's kind of where you go. It's like that stuff is just too complicated. It's just too confusing, and so we just don't talk about it. But the second, coming, the second coming, if you will, of Christ, although it can get a little convoluted and a little complicated, it shouldn't. It doesn't have to. In that Titus passage we read before, let's go back to that. Titus 2, 11 through 13. The author gives us and describes two different appearings of Jesus. One is called the appearing of grace. The other is called the appearing of glory or the appearance of glory. Look at Titus 2, 11. For the grace of God has appeared for the salvation of all men. What is he talking about here? What appearance of Jesus is he referring to right here? His first appearance. Baby Jesus in the manger. That's known as the appearance of grace. When we deserve the king to come and kind of wipe out the kingdom, he came instead to save and show grace to the kingdom. When we deserved punishment and rebuke, the king came as a child to show us love and mercy. That's why the first time Jesus showed up, it's known as the appearance of grace. It's an undeserved, unexpected gift. Now, in verse 13, he says this. We are awaiting our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. So the first is the appearance of grace, which was baby Jesus in the manger. But the second time he comes, it's going to be an appearance of glory. First grace, then glory. First time around, God showed up as an innocent child, clothed in our humanity, and experienced life and death in the way that we experienced it, even though we didn't deserve it. That's why it's called grace. The second time around, he will show up as a triumphant king, clothed in splendor and majesty. He will invite us to experience life after death, and this will happen when we least expect it. That's why it's called glory. First grace, then glory. You with me? Two separate appearings, appearances, however you say that. They are different, but they are so connected, and they are equally important realities. See, in Paul's eyes, in the New Testament author's minds, these two appearances, they are inseparably linked together. What God's grace started when he set Jesus here the first time, it will be completed in glory the second time. You can't really have the one without believing in and looking forward to the other. Okay, Christmas matters, yes, but the fact that Jesus is coming back matters just as much. And if Paul were the only one to talk about this, I'd kind of be like, yeah, well, Paul, that's a nice idea, but what did Jesus have to say? 
Oh, wait. Jesus said the same thing. Matthew 24, 30 and 31. At that time, he said, the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man, Jesus himself, coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. He will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. See, Jesus talked about this moment and this second coming just as much as anybody else did. And according to Jesus, according to Titus, according to all the other authors, the motivation, the power behind the Christian life, it comes by looking at two different directions at the same time. It comes by looking back with gratitude for what God did in Jesus in that manger. For what God did the first time he showed up on the earth. So you look back, but the power and motivation, the way to live a mature Christian life is also to look forward with great anticipation for the glory that is yet to come. I love the way John Piper says it. Not waiting like a criminal on death row for the day of your execution. You're waiting like a schoolboy on the last day of school, eagerly awaiting summer vacation. Oh, I've been waiting for this. That's the sense in the spirit that God wants us to have. He wants us to look back and say, thank you, thank you, thank you for the grace that you showed me in this entire world back there at the manger and on the cross when you took on human form. But I also look forward to the glory that is yet to come. You have to look back and look forward at the same time. See, when Christ came the first time, he more or less kind of came incognito. He was the first and probably the most important like undercover boss there ever was. Right? He laid low. He didn't show up with lots of fanfare or noise or excitement. The first time he appeared, you had to look for him. You had to search him out. That will not be the case when he comes again. There will be a day, and Jesus describes it as a day that we least expect, when he will show up again. But this time, and on that day, you will not have to look very hard to see him. You won't have to search very hard. He won't be incognito. He will be coming in the sky. At the second coming, a great trumpet will sound. He will come riding in on the clouds. All the angels are with him, and he will usher in the next age to come. That kind of brings us, though, to the second reason why we don't eagerly await all of this. We just don't believe it. We just don't believe it's actually going to happen. For some, the idea that Jesus Christ is going to show up again on the earth and rescue all of his followers, it just sounds so far-fetched. It's a little fanciful, if you will. Many of us are like Carl Sagan. He's an astronomer for, from Cornell University. He would put the second coming of Christ up there with, like, the cow that jumped over the moon. Like, yeah, right, that's ever going to happen. Reminds me of the meme someone sent me this past week. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. Think about it. Coming on the clouds? I mean, how is he going to do that in every hemisphere at the exact same time? Coming with the angels? So Jesus needs some little posse or entourage when he comes back? A loud trumpet? Seriously? I mean, isn't all that stuff made up or symbolic of something else? 
I mean, it's hard to believe that any of that is possible, that any of that actually is going to happen. It's hard to believe that God would show up in that way, especially in our lifetime. It's been thousands of years since those words were first penned, and it hasn't happened yet, so why is it going to happen now? You with me? Many of us have that kind of same understanding or, or, or explanation for this stuff. I doubt this is ever going to happen, especially that way. It just sounds so weird. And if you've, ever, if you've ever said those things, if you've ever thought that way, well, you, you've got every right to. You actually bring up some really strong arguments. I mean, it's hard to comprehend Christ's return. It's hard to, to wrap your mind around what Jesus said in Matthew 25. But it's just as crazy to believe that God showed up in the belly of some unmarried virgin girl 2,000 years ago in some backwoods town. It's just as crazy to believe that God himself would take the enormity and, and the entirety of our sin and place it on his shoulders. That's crazy. It's just as crazy to believe that God would suffer and die for people who don't even care about him. That's crazy. So you're right. Believing in the second coming, believing that Jesus is going to come back one day on the clouds with angels in a loud trumpet, that is crazy, and that's hard to believe. But if you can't handle crazy... If you're not into believing hard things or mysterious things, then Christianity is just not for you. And listen, you can still take your mug and go home and we, would, we send you out with our praise and you know, our thanks. But if you're not into believing mysterious, difficult things, then Christianity is just not going to be for you. See, we serve a God who is not illogical. He is beyond logic. And so if you're trying to get your mind around completely how all this is going to go down, well, you're just never going to get there. The second coming of Christ kind of falls into this category of confusing and, and hard to believe and extreme and radical. Yes, it does. Does it make you feel a little fanatical or a weird? Is it hard to put, is it hard to put words to? Is it hard to get your mind around? Yes, it is. But is it incredibly important that you believe that it's going to happen? And is it incredibly important that you eagerly await it happening? Yes, it is. Because Jesus' second coming, you see, church, it's, it's the completion of his work. If, if you take away the second coming, then it kind of undoes and unravels all the things that he set into motion and that he started with the first coming. I mean, think about this with me. Why would the king send the prince to fight and die for this land, only to abandon the land and never come back to set his throne up on it? Why would the father pay all of that money and go through all of that headache of adoption and never come back to take the kids home? Why would the shepherd do everything in his power to fight off every attacker and set up a beautiful place of rest, yet never come back to take the sheep to actually go there? Why would the living God pay off our debt in full, put his spirit in us as a deposit, and yet never come back to claim what he already bought? No, it doesn't make any sense. The king will come back. The father will come for the children. The shepherd will gather all the sheep, and God will be with us. You with me? I know he will return. He has to return. The king, the father, the shepherd, the master, our God, he will come back. I know he will. Because everything he started when he first came, that first time, demands that he comes back, requires that he comes back, expects him 
to come back. That's his great promise and our great hope. So if you believe that Jesus came as a child, then you have to believe that one day he's coming back as a king. If you believe that Jesus showed up this way, then you also have to believe that one day he's going to show up this way. He will come again. I don't want you just to believe in it. I want you to eagerly await it. That kind of leads us to our last point this morning. Most of us don't get all that excited about the second coming of Christ because we fear it, or we just don't want it. There's a faith out there, and I would argue it's a phony faith. It believes in Jesus just to escape hell, just to kind of cover your bases for whatever happens after death. It's kind of faith that you just go through the motions, check off a box, you do it to please your parents or to please your wife or whatever, but that kind of faith that has no real desire for Christ. That kind of faith would rather Christ not come back for as long as possible so that I can have as much of this world as possible. Right? Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Now leave me alone so I can do my own thing. There's another kind of faith out there. It's a real faith. It longs for God. It can't wait to be with Jesus. It's that groom or that bride saying, please come down the aisle. I hope this moment happens as soon as humanly possible. I can't wait to be with you. The question is, which type of faith do you have? Do you have that phony faith that's just like, yeah, I've got Jesus just to kind of cover my bases, make sure I'm okay to go when it comes to this heaven thing? Or are you longing for Jesus to come? Because you just can't wait to be with him. You are so eager and so ready. See, a phony faith wants Christ to wait so that our love affair with this world can run its course. And my fear as I was reflecting on my own life or the, the faith of those in this church is that I think many of us have this phony kind of faith. We don't love the idea of his reappearing because we're too busy loving the world. And his reappearing means that our love affair with the world is going to be interrupted. What type of faith do you have? Do you just want him to come back no matter what? Or are you like, yeah, could you just wait because we got some trips planned and I'm waiting for the investments to kind of bounce back and I had to finish my basement this summer. Could you just wait just maybe three months? Maybe three years, maybe 30 years? Just wait till my grandkids, right? I mean, just, just wait. I've got a lot of stuff I want to do. I've got a lot of great plans. And I, just, I just don't want you to come back yet. Look at John 14, 1 and 3 with me. It says this. Jesus speaking, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back. And I will take you to be with me that you will be where I am. Now I get it that when some people talk about the second coming of Jesus, right, they immediately start talking about the end times, tribulation, antichrist, crazy movies, whatever. And some of that stuff is important to a point to study. But the second coming of Christ is all about Christ. The second coming of Christ is ultimately and really only about Christ. That's all I want you to keep in mind. If you know nothing else about the end times, if you know nothing else about his return, all I want you to know is that Jesus will be there. Jesus will be here. I'm not sure about all the particulars or the signs or the dates or the time frames, but I do know one thing. When Christ comes back, I'll be with him. 
I will be with him. We will finally be with the one that we were designed and destined to be with. In that moment, we will live as we were originally created to live. We will finally see the object of our faith, the object of our affection and devotion, the one we talk about, sing to, pray to, hope for, emulate and follow. He'll be with us and we will be with him. No more pictures, no more talk, no more speculation, no more commentaries. The real thing, church. And my hope is that, hallelujah is right, right? My hope is that you long for that day, that you eagerly await more than a first date, more than a great trip, more than the start of a new job, more than your leftover Chipotle, that you eagerly await that day. Oh, I've been looking forward to this for so long. Does that describe you? Does that describe how you feel about the second coming of Christ? Is that how Jesus will find you when he comes back on the clouds? I hope that he will. The second coming of Christ is not something you should fear or fret, but it's also something you should not forget about. It is something you should look forward to with great eagerness and anticipation. Because on that day, all the things we hope for and long for and expect and talk about and pray about, all of it will finally come to fruition. So come, Lord Jesus, come. Let me pray that over you and we'll get you out of here. God, many of us believe adamantly and with all of our heart that you came as a, as a baby. Thousands of years ago, Lord, you came in a graceful way, a merciful, loving way in the child, in the form of a child, Lord, in the belly of a teenager. And you came and you walked this earth and you experienced life just like we experienced it, God. The incarnation, the birth of your son, the nativity scene. Lord, we believe in that. We thank you for that. We love that. Our faith and our lives and our hope is built on that. But Lord, there's, there's a second side to that coin. You're coming back. Just like you showed up thousands of years ago in Bethlehem, one day you will show up again. But this time, Lord, it will be very different. You will show up as a triumphant king in all your glory. The trumpet will sound. It won't be the, the screaming of a baby. It will be a loud trumpet. And it won't be animals gathering around him. It will be the heavenly hosts. When you come back again, Lord, you will come in your glory. And you will make things right. You will set things straight. And Lord, we long for that day. We eagerly await the day when Jesus returns. For those of us who have never thought much about it or given it a whole lot of, um, of our time or attention, I just pray that the, the numbers 213 begin to really stick. That the Philippians passage, the Hebrews passage, 320, 928, that God, we just start to eagerly await. Not because, not because of any other reason except we just want to see Jesus. We want to be with Jesus. We want to hang out with and, and, and talk to and pray with and sing with, and just be around Jesus. We want this world and our life to be how you originally created and designed and destined for it to be. And so we say, even some of us now, a little hesitantly, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. We await and anticipate and look forward to that great day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Thank you, church, for your time today. I appreciate you all so much. Have an amazing week. Uh, don't forget your dollar in the bin on the way out so we can bless a family in need tomorrow morning. Uh, have a great week. Be strong and courageous. God bless.